Hey everyone, this is Robert Gowan. You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. For those of you that are not in the Mixler chat room, you're not able to chat with us. You can listen to us, but if you go on to Mixler.com, that's M-I-X-L-R.com, you'll be able to chat live with us. Scott Kinder uh, will be on the uh, chat room and uh, making sure that any questions that you bring up, he brings to the forum. Tonight, we're going to be uh, joined by somebody we haven't seen or heard from in quite some time, uh, Mr. Rudy Lindsay. What's going on, Rudy? Hey, Robert. Glad I can uh, finally get some time freed up to uh, to break away and join you guys. I've, I've been feeling a little guilty not being able to participate lately. Uh, you guys have had some awesome uh, awesome guests and some awesome topics discussions. Uh, we know it's all those black ops things you're working on in the yeah. background and stuff. You know, it's good for country and God and all that kind of good stuff. So you're good, man. Uh, of course, we got Scott. Uh, Scott, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Robert. How are you? Good, man. So tonight we're going to be covering a topic called problem solving. And uh, it's something that everybody uh, really kind of deals with in um, no matter what you're doing in your, your business or whether you're in the military right now, or whether you're analyzing whether or not when you're transitioning uh, the problems and the issues that come up with that. And um, once again, as Scott kind of being the uh, semi-quasi producer of the show, he's been really coming up with some good topics that kind of line us up. So uh, tee us up, Scott, as to what some of the things we might be covering tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so, talking with you and Mike Prince post show last time on selection, you know, we were kind of wargaming and, and talking about what the topic for the next upcoming shows should be in the strategy room. And we've hit on and all about problem solving several times. Almost every show, I can think of a couple of different instances in where we've talked about a problem that the interviewee or the the guest or one of the people in the strategy room has, has encountered. So. It's, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, and, and of course, as, a, as an SF guy or a Green Beret, you know, part of the selection process to, to tool us out and, and to get the high-quality, unconventional thinkers that, that they make is our unique ability to look at problems through a, 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 a atypical paradigm and solve those problems you know, in a real-time, timely manner. So as I've transitioned out and, and tried my hat at being an entrepreneur and dealing with clients and civilians, I see this more times than, than I'd care to admit within civilian organizations and, and especially with prior military. We, we seem to forget that we have these inherent problem-solving skills that, that we've honed over a two-year stint or a 20-, 30-year career, no matter the rank, because we, we tend to look at military problems in one lens and civilian type or organizational problems in another lens, when in reality that, that couldn't be further from the truth. So today we're going to talk about you know defining the the problem, what what the problem is, you know, analysis analysis paralysis, stagnation, fear, adversity, risk. We're, we're going to talk about some of the training scenarios that you know the military, the holistic military, and specifically you know special operations guys get, get trained in how to look at problems and go into some tools like UDA, which we'll talk about shortly. Course of action development, backwards planning. And most importantly, I think, and please, Robert and Rudy, don't forget the, the absolute, absolute importance of rehearsals and, and preparing to solve problems correctly. So I'll let that 45-second spiel go on and <laughs> turn the mic over to somebody else for a moment. No, actually, it's a great <laughs> tee-up uh, because, you know, in my background, um, I'm a Six Sigma black belt. And for those that may not be familiar with Six Sigma, it's really kind of a disciplined, data-driven approach and methodology uh, for eliminating defects. It's used a lot in manufacturing environment um, and driving towards kind of a six standard deviation between the mean and the uh, the meanest uh, 
specification limit. So um, for me, I'm going to kind of bring in that aspect of it because in the private sector, whether you're looking at a um, a manufacturing line or um, you're looking at a transactional kind of process, uh, problem solving is very key, how you bring it up to leadership, uh, how you try to get them to tackle the issues and to come up with a good decision to drive forward and uh, it, it's really critical. So I think it's going to be a good show and something that we can really hit on and we can hit from multiple different angles, whether it's from a military perspective or certainly from the private sector. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, uh, Robert, I'll go a step further and you both touched on a key word and I'll help try to be the, uh, be the continuity uh, to bounce, to help, help guide that thing from a military perspective to uh, the business sector and just a, a common approach to it. But both you guys keyed on a, on a, on a, on a word there, a very important word, and that word is process. The, the problem-solving process, and, and no matter what formula you use, that it, it, it equals a process, and it's an ongoing process, and it doesn't end. Um, there, there's really no end state to this. You might achieve a goal uh, through that problem-solving process, uh, but it, it's, it's cyclic and it's perpetual, and you need to continue to analyze, and uh, I'm sure Scott's going to get into some of these steps with us. No, easy. Um, of course, and I, I think that's why, you know, Robert has his uh, his Lean Sigma Six and, and all that. You know, his black belt certifications and that and everything. But but to me, simplistically, you know, before I get into UDA, I want to talk a little bit more about the problem because you know that that process that you're talking about, Rudy, um, is is long in some people and very short in others, and and it's yeah. through honing and practicing and education of that process and that skill set that you can react better to the unprepared. When when it comes when those problems arise and you realize that it's not a a life-changing problem it's a, it's a small problem you don't have to have you know what i what i call analysis paralysis and i certainly didn't coin the term but uh, again a perfect example one of a biotechnology company that i consult with um any seemingly trivial piece of not planned action items comes onto the radar and they just freeze um, for, for hours, for days, for weeks. And, you know, I've seen it in, you know, in MARSOC, I've seen it in the Army and the Special yeah. Operations. And it's just this kind of frozen deer in the headlights reaction like, oh my God, there's a problem. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. We'll solve it. You know, like, decide do something just act and execute so so there's certainly you know but but a lot of that comes from fear of the unknown i think and and just that adversity to risk but through you know we've talked about being you know communication barriers we've talked about adaptability we've talked about selection so all those things are leading to if you're selecting the right activities and you're adaptable and you're prepared problems all of a sudden don't seem that that great when you encounter them that's right that's right and um and and i think the first step to that is understanding what the problem is, you know, what what's the what's the ramification? What's the what's the uh, the the depth of that problem? Is it is it something that's, that that could be potentially life risking or catastrophic, or is it something of uh, well, I've got a flat tire, that's a problem. I might be late for work. How do I mitigate it? Um, so you know, the first thing to figure out is what the hell's going on. What how do we identify the problem, and then we can work on uh, achieving solutions or coming up with solutions to fix that problem. I, you know, I think risk is a big part of it. I, and I'm, you know, we touched on it during the last show and I'm glad that we're talking about it again tonight because I, I, I can't, 
you know, we can't stress enough the aspect of trying to understand the risk, to measure that, and be able to um, articulate that to leadership when they're in the decision process and certainly in the problem solving. If you're able to decide or determine whether or not it's as big as a bread box or we're talking about something much larger, then it helps management uh, in their um, you know, process as well of trying to determine the best solution out of this. Um, so risk is a, is a key component. Absolutely. Absolutely. It absolutely is. So, you know, for me, you know, I, I talked about Six Sigma. Um, for me, you know, one of the things that we're taught at the very beginning is an acronym called uh, DMAIC. And DMAIC really is um, D-M-A-I-C, or D-M-A-I-C, I should say. Uh, what it really stands for is Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. And so, I mean, if even as a leader, if you're able to come up um, with a problem or you identify a problem and you're able to come up to leadership and explain what that is, if you can at least define what it is, and that means in some kind of quantifiable terms, you have a way that you know already that you're able to measure it. And you also understand that you don't know necessarily what you don't know right now. And so you can't come up with what you believe to be the solution because then that means you're already driving towards one specific way of trying to solve that. So you got to be open to what the data is willing to say to you in our world and in the Six Sigma world. Analyze the data that's in front of you. Identify from that where the root cause analysis are really uh, existing. Uh, put in in place a... Um, a, a way to uh, identify that and then control it so that it doesn't happen again. I don't think it's much different than what we're going to be talking tonight as far as UDA because it's more about um, really understanding what's going on, being able to articulate it properly, identify the risk, uh, be able to move it forward and make sure that, of course, you, you mitigate it so that it doesn't keep repeating itself as well. And that's that's a beautiful thing, Robert. When When in preparing for tonight's show and hopefully I do seem prepared and I'm not stumbling or stuttering too much but uh, in preparing for tonight's show talking about problem solving just googling problem solving and looking up different frameworks and oh man there are a thousand consultancy services talking about veteran owned problem solving businesses and everything else but no matter how they change the verbiage and the terminology most of them you know simplistically go back to John Boyd who is an Air Force Colonel and a fighter pilot and his OODA loop because you can reword it all you want but you know Rudy hit on the process and Rudy hit on that it was cyclic and, and it was never ending and that's why I, I love and endorse OODA so much because the make's great but in my opinion you know it's it's very similar to, to UDA, and, and that's why, you know, let's not overcomplicate things, let's not reinvent the wheel, Let, let's keep it, and you can call it whatever you want, but I, I think if we start off at step one, you know, observe, it, 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 the UDA loop is observe, orient, decide, and act, right? So if we step at st stop, if we start at step one and observe, those observations come from feedback with our environment that, that we're going you know, um, from any information that we have, our own cultural and biases and internal inform information, what we have going on outside and external interactions with the environment and others and those situations seemingly beyond our control. And those that feedback is all coming into me. So when you stop and observe, sometimes it's simply like Rudy said, just to, to figure out what's going on, you know, without reacting, yep. that observation is key because until you have a factual basis of understanding what's happening, it's not coherent, it's not proper to move, right? You shouldn't. Yep. And, and with that, Scott, with that, it, it, part of your observation in the UDA or uh, uh, Robert, I'm sure it ties into the uh, 
to, to your example as well, but we're, we're identifying the problem. And, and if we even take a more simpler approach and, and you identify what the problem is and what it is not, um, you identify where the problem occurs, where it does not occur, apply uh, or identify when the problem occurs and when it does not occur. So, you know, keep it at, keep it at very simple. And again, Rob, uh, uh, Scott, I'm glad you said that. It could, it could be anything that you want it to be without overcomplicating it or without the memorization of uh, long acronyms, but we're simply identifying a problem. We're staying observant. You can apply the, the what, where, and when uh, to help you do that. Basically, you're looking at, at what it is and you're, and you're conducting a, a, a symptom analysis, if you will, trying to figure out exactly what's going on and understanding the problem, uh, therefore identifying it first, the first step. And, and that's where I think a lot of people just, again, going back to the deer in the headlights, I think that mm -hmm. this is where people, they, they, all these external factors coming at them. And, and we, you know, first of all, it's another horrific fact that a lot of quote unquote leaders and, and my, my second least favorite word in the world, but managers, right? Um, these managers who typically don't know how to manage, um, when they identify and create their plan, and again, going back to the biotechnology company that I consult for, I see this firsthand all the time. We, we fall in love with our plan and any external factor that might impact that plan, we'll, we'll, we can't consider those because that wasn't part of the plan. And that's where that, that fear and that analysis paralysis comes into. Well, we're smart guys. We didn't anticipate this problem. So what, what is this catastrophic? Like what's going on? If we're so smart, we didn't see it. Like it has to be something robustly horrific for our company and I'm going no it was just a flaw in your planning process but adapt and move on you know so that observation and just that realistic understanding of what and how big that problem and how impactful that problem is going to be on you or your organization or whatever a lot of times that through fear it's not as big as we think it is we overinflate it in our heads well, I think that's, you know, for on the Six Sigma side, you know, for me, it, uh, coming into these types of problem solving, it was more of people who actually thought they already knew what the solution was to the problem. You know, they already come in and go, oh, I think I know what it is. Um, I think it's probably X that's occurring, and what we need to do is actually, uh, you know, fix that, and then that'll uh, solve it. Or, like you said, they have no clue what it is. They're running around rampant, and they're f uh, fearful of what's going to happen. Uh, it's one or the other. You know, you, you, I, I tended to run into those individuals that either thought they knew the answer before they came into the solution uh, or those that are fearful of what the outcome is and they think that it's bigger than what it really is. So um, it, I think it's really important that first you get a handle on the situation and you understand exactly. how big this thing is. Uh, and the only way you can really do that is to begin measuring that. Um, you know, whether that's data, whether that's getting all the facts, whether that's really being an active listener and listening to what's going on around you and what people are describing so that you can begin to, to frame that thing out to see just how big that thing is so that you know what to measure uh, to, to actually identify the problem. Exactly. So, so exactly. James Holmes in the chat room is, is A, brought up a great point with the Wikipedia link that everybody should check out on A3 planning process and what Toyota is educating their staff on the correct identification and problem-solving frameworks that they believe in. So, you know, a massive billion-dollar company. Um, and secondly, you know, he makes a great point to second your 
um, statement there, Robert, that root cause analysis is absolutely critical. And, and you know, that's not only in the post-mortem of the problem-solving checklist, right? When, when everything's done and you're, you're back executing and you're acting and you're going on maybe a new path, but you're, you're moving back out. But just that identifying of where the problem originated and what can be done to mitigate that problem potentially happening, happening again, that can all be done on the fly, right? It, but you just have to open up your, your mind and realize that problem-solving is a paradigm internal to your brain and that you have to be able and comfortable with solving problems and if you're not, you have to train yourself and educate educate yourself so that you can be more comfortable when trying to solve problems. Yeah, and you know, in the, in the private sector, it's funny that uh, uh, Toyota was mentioned because, of course, Toyota is a big Six Sigma organization. And uh, we typically use what's called the fishbone diagram, which is really kind of the cause and effect diagram and evaluating possible causes for the effect. And that could be whether it's a um, you know, a process, a people, materials, environment, it's the management, it's the equipment. What are the underlying factors that could come in to affect the problem, whatever that problem is? And, um, you know, especially when you're talking about a manufacturing environment like a Toyota, it's really, again, listening to what the people have to say to, to ad- identify the, all the potential risks that go along with that that could eventually become um, the problem whatever the problem is. And you don't want to make that too too big. I, I couldn't agree more, but I think that where I'm getting off track a little bit and talking about observing and figuring out where you are is, you know, what does this mean for transitioning military members? What What is the problem, right? Well, the problem is that you've potentially you go. got yep. the biggest life change coming at you since you joined the military you know since you made that life-changing decision to do two three four years or make it a career and retire the transition piece is a is a grand new problem of a massive scale and it's looking you right in the face so it's going to challenge your internal beliefs all these when when john boyd and his ooda loop you know charts talk about you know um all these external factors right you're getting smacked in the face with about a hundred external factors all at once you've got to translate your resume in the civilian you know kind of verbiage you've got to update your wardrobe you've got to update your skill sets you've got to potentially plan another move without this assistance of the u.s government this potential final time you've got to change your kids schools you've got all these problems and this is when simply just taking a look at it and going okay I've dealt with far greater problems than this in a combat environment or in just a normal day daily life and job of my military career what do I need to do so so taking a moment to pause and observe in the piecemeal and break this stuff down to make sure that you're enacting the proper plan so that leads us right into the orient part of UDA right so once you observe all these factors coming in and you don't let them kick you in, in the butt and, and, and paralyze you with fear then you orient yourself and you say okay how much time do I have and what are the potential repercussions of my actions and then you start start just start to formulate that new course of action right so now you're going back into your planning processes and you're going okay X happened I'm at a fork in the road if I go down the left fork then that's potentially going to lead to Y Z and A if I go down this other road then it's going to lead to potential other repercussions and that's when you orient yourself prior to deciding to act I think yep. this that, is where a lot of people research as well yeah. You know, you're finding, you're finding that, tying it back into a transition, you're finding that opportunity. You know, going back, real quick, going back to identifying your problem. Scott, you hit it on the head, tying it to transition. Hey, I've got a life change coming up. You know, one of the first things you're doing, okay, we agree that that's a big problem or it could be a big problem for you. It doesn't have to be a problem, but it is a hurdle. Um, it's something you need to do some 
some research on and some thinking about before you take that step because there's a lot of different paths to go down. But finding that opportunity, what, what do you want to do? And that, and that ties directly into a lot of the other topics that we've talked about, you know, finding your passion, uh, con, you know, conducting some research, figuring out exactly what you want to do. So looking for that opportunity and finding opportunity where it may or may not exist. And now you're, you're, you're moving into the step two, which is, you know, your orient with exactly correct. You know, you start, you need to start doing some research and, and you need to start fact finding uh, specific to the opportunities that you were searching for. Specifically, uh, you, you've narrowed it down to five or six companies in the field that you want to work in or be a part of. And now you start doing your homework and you start researching um, what specific uh, technologies or what specific lexicon do I need to be familiar with or uh, are there educational gaps that maybe I can I can fill before I submit a resume and things like that. So you're orienting yourself to uh, the situation and you're orienting yourself and setting yourself up to be in a position to make a decision. I, you know, I Not wonder if that, this... But you're... Go ahead, Robert. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I just wonder if this is where a lot of people really fail, in my opinion, because they don't evaluate the timeline that it's really necessary to to, um, to make sure they're going to be successful in the, in, in this um, effort. I, I mean, when you start evaluating what it is that you want to go into, the industry and everything else, planning is the most critical aspect of this. I mean, if you don't plan properly, you're going to fail. I mean, yes. it, it, proper planning is is the key here so um I, I i i think we need to really stress this aspect of it because um you know again if, if you don't really think about all the aspects of when you're transitioning where it is that you want to move to some of the things that we talked about last week you know where is it that you want to move to what are the companies that you're wanting to go into um what are some of your strengths and capabilities that you're going to bring to the table to add value to the organization that you're going to belong to all of those things are then going to decide what what uh, runway you're going to need to take off to be successful in the end. Exactly. And, and that's the beautiful thing about UDA to me, right, is if somebody throws a baseball at your head and you're standing there, UDA is lightning quick if you're successful and you you decide to catch the ball and act. If, if you or planning a transition in retirement, UDA can be a year or longer in the process, right? And during that orientation piece, you can decide to um, network, you can become adaptable, you can start your planning processes, you can throw out some stuff. You know, talking to Mike Pritz the other day about how he has his networking group and, and you know, again, I'll go back to that example that he gave about he was going down a path to get one master's degree in teaching and then through just orientate, orientating himself to the proper processes and procedures to ask his friends about what was going on, they said, you probably don't want to go down that route. You want to go over here and go this route, which added some time to it. So he oriented himself, did some more research because he had given himself enough buffer zone and time. And then he decided to act, decided and act the last two pieces, right, on that new transition piece and it was successful to him. So UDA can be as long or as short as you want it and it can incorporate as much or as little planning as you want into it. And to me, that's one of the things that, that makes it so beautiful. 
Yeah, you know, I think, you know, in this case here, um, when you go back to Mike, I think he kind of figured out for himself a long time ago what it was that he felt he had as a strength, and that was in teaching. Of course, a lot of that had to do with special forces, and, you know, when you get, you break it down, it's, it's really teaching. So for him, it was a nice fit, but I think for a lot of folks, it might be, as we mentioned in an earlier podcast, you may have to go for certifications. You may have to go for education. You may right, find right. out that you've got to have a lot of, lot of you know, further runway than what it is that you you may really think that you need and so you know it's it's that strategic aspect of it and really analyzing what it is that you want to do what is my peer group doing currently today in that same space because um, it could be that they have those certifications or that education and I've got to be competitive against them within the workplace so I need to make sure that I've you know, define the problem well enough, and I understand the situation of what I need to do to to be competitive in the marketplace. Exactly, and it, depending on which field you're looking at, just like you touched on, you know, there may be some gaps, and you need to you need to identify that, and you need to in your fact finding or uh, as you're orienting yourself to the situation and the problem, you determine that, and especially in the technical field, you know, there may be you may have to have certain certifications required to to help make you successful during that transition and again again sorry i don't want to keep beating a dead horse but going back to previous shows (laughs) and and talking right this is all kind of tying a bow on everything that we've we've been discussing because you know rudy you just mentioned you know that you might have to re-educate yourself or find something right so we're going now into talking about the backwards planning scenarios and this whole thing so i love how robert brought up that planning is an absolute must and, and i couldn't agree more because when you're in the orientation aspect of UDA, and again, you're trying to figure out what you want to do in, in this new transition, this new career, it's a monumental life choice, right? You're going to be doing a brand, either retirement's a life choice, or a new job is definitely a life choice, and where that job is, and, and fitting in a new culture, and understanding a non-military culture if you're not in the defense contracting role. I mean, I can go on and on and on for days, but this is all incorporated parts into your planning process and yet we tend to just kind of throw spaghetti at the wall see which one sticks and kind of run after it and, and hope for the best well that's how does, how not somebody, a solid course of action yeah how does somebody so how does somebody let's say a young um, a young spec four he's married he's got two kids he's been in the military six years and and he really he's a young guy he, he's got the time uh, before he gets out to start uh, aligning himself up, how do, how does he go about finding out how to identify some of these issues? He's never done it before. How does he go about? He's intimidated by it. He has no clue. How does he go about doing that? I, you know, again, networking, talking to people, you know, having the ability to take a self-aware look in the mirror and realize what you want to do. Getting your, so since you gave the example and he or she is married, talking to your partner, your spouse about what the, the end state and the goal is, trying to get enough, you know, and, and what you need to live. If, if it's a young spec for with a family and he's not drawing a medical retirement disability or anything, then, you know, those are all planning considerations that you have to keep in mind when you're looking at this, right? A, a retired 
retiree, an E8 or an O6 retiree with a pension and disability and everything else has a whole lot less, you know, problems on his plate than that E4, in my opinion. And so they're they're not they're different fish, but they, they need to understand that there are different needs and everybody's unique. So I think that through the transition assistance program or through just <laughs> through whatever programs that they have in their own internal networks that that's how they cope with this problem right but when when you get scared when you when you quit being scared of saying the word problem and you learn that everything can be a problem of some type then it's not really that big of a deal to solve them because if you only think that something monumental and catastrophic is a problem then Okay, you know now you're you got analysis paralysis and you're stuck again. Like today, I've got two kids, and this is horrific as an American to have to say, but my two sons have two cricket matches at two different fields, and we have one car, and they both start at the same time. That's a problem, right? I'm going to go into my planning considerations <laughs> and trying to figure out how to be in two different places at one time, and then pray that all my American friends listening don't bash me for uh, my sons playing cricket. But otherwise. So I'm not scared to say that that's a problem that I'm solving today, though. Well, you know, when you go back to the E4 that's on an installation, there are so many um, available resources that are on those installations. So uh, as an example, there is the Education Center. So you can go there and you can you know, talk about what it is that you currently have uh, in training that you've you know, taken within the military, how that may translate into uh, college credits. Um, how it may go into yep. certifications or something that might require perhaps just a few other classes to uh, finalize a certification, whether that's, say, project management or LPN license or something to be able to help transferable uh, to the private sector. You know, by so by going to those types of resources or even career counselors on your installation, um, it allows you then to reach out to network then becomes bigger than just the people you know it's the people that are are really resources for you to be able to make those types of transition go and talk to those experts and find out um, explain to them what you're looking at doing and find out what it is that you're missing in terms of gaps that we talked about early on and and try to make those gaps up you know as quickly as possible if you can't then you've got to be able to understand that your runway needs to be longer that's the critical aspect of this is that you don't want to do this when you're three months out six months out it could exactly. be that you're you within time. Yeah, yeah it could be that you're you're two years out and you're actually evaluating whether to re-enlist or you're evaluating whether to separate but you need yeah, to have something that's something that uh, robert and, I, and i'll tie it into something i'm working on right now and and one of the problems i'm faced with is i'm trying to educate educate some guys and gals on how to do Z. And this problem set is pretty complex and it's something that uh, my hurdle or my problem is, is how do I teach them uh, the, as the, the, the aspect of having one foot in today and the other foot in tomorrow? And, and I compare it to uh, playing checkers versus playing chess. And, and I'm, I'm trying to teach these individuals to be proactive and not reactive. And, and, and I, I think that, that ties directly to what you're saying in that you have to identify this problem. You have to, to understand the problem after you've identified it. You have to define and, and figure out the gaps and, and the direction you want to go with 
your life, with your transition. And you can't do that by being retroactive. You can't do that by waiting three months or, you know, God forbid, the day you're getting ready to transition to try to figure this out. This is a, this, it's, it could be a potentially disastrous uh, outcome if you, if you do that. But, but having, that, um, having that runway time, having that, uh, that ramp uh, to allow you enough time to go through this process that uh, the three of us are talking about, um, I'm, I'm trying to break it down as the knuckle dragger would, you know, um, without the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to take the acronyms and then some of the, some of the finer specific talking points and break it down so that, you know, uh, in, in simplistic terms, identify your problem, understand what the problem is and, and the impact it has on you. And then, and then you start identifying gaps and ways to prepare yourself. Um, again, you got to have a foot in today. Understanding the problem, and you got to be—you still have to have a foot in tomorrow. Uh, you have to be proactive with this. Rudy, I, I I love 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 what you just said because if any Marine used to work for me when I was in Marsoc as a DOD guy I would tell you, you know, every day about ten times they used to have it on a, a poster above my desk. Yeah. It said, "Be proactive, not reactive." Right? Because exactly. if you're proactive, you're somewhat controlling events. You're, you're and when you when when soft guys and military guys get into react mode. Typically, it's bad things, right? I mean, that's why right. like, react right. to contact, react to ambush, yep. react yep. to. You got, you got to get ahead of it. A good thing. You got to right. get, ahead, get of ahead, of ahead of it. So, and that's a perfect lead-in to decide, right? So, once exactly. you proactively decide that you're going to soon act, you know, you, you've you've observed what the problem was, you've orientated yourself to the the correct course of action. Now you're proactively deciding. This is where a lot of people just truly mess it up, though. So we we. We live in a society that we, we've all admitted in, in previous shows is full of instant gratification, right? Where everybody's a winner and participation trophies and all the other stuff, right? Well, that's definitely not life. And that's not life for this transitioning E4 with a family and two kids who's, who served honorably or the E7 or the 04 or the 06, anybody, sure. anybody that's transitioning. And yet we feel and we set them up for failure because we don't tell them the God's honest truth when they're deciding and they're about to act. Because we a think we're going to hurt their feelings, or b we just don't care and we're you know pathetic enough to to let somebody else make a catastrophic decision, and that's where when you have that ability, like Robert says in his book, and I hate that I'm three weeks into this and I'm just now mentioning Robert's book, Master the Transition. But you know, I finally <laughs> thank you, Rudy, or thank you, Scott. <laughs> you know, I I think that. But, you know, we, we do everybody a disservice by not telling them what their true strengths and weaknesses are. And now I'll shut up, Robert. I promise. No, no, no. That's fine. That's quite all right. I think that um, sure. I think that you've got it. <laughs> this doesn't just apply uh, to me personally. This doesn't just apply to transition, although we're trying to wrap that into it. But it also applies to anybody who's in the... Yeah, I mean, job changing. Uh, if you're looking at uh, where you're currently at, and you're looking at whether there's a new opportunity that you're being in entertained by uh, a talent uh, recruiter over in another area, uh, another exactly. company that's entertaining you. You're talking about like we did last week, and in, in locating uh, to a new uh, area of the United States or a new country, God forbid. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot that you got to take into the problem solving aspect because um, it, we, you know, Rudy, you mentioned family. You've got to take that into consideration. So you're Absolutely. now talking about neighborhoods. You're talking about schools. You're talking about um, the we whole. We don't have to, but uh, I highly recommend you do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. 
Yeah, and and even someone who's single right now that's in this situation and thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have a family right now. Well, you don't right now, but that doesn't mean that that's something that couldn't happen in the future. So you want to make sure that you've planned well enough in in this process. Uh, But I think decisions are always something, um, or at least for the most part, are people people are they don't they don't want to make decisions they want to seek so much advice from individuals um to make sure that they feel like if they poll 20 people um that they'll they'll feel better well then when they reach 20 they realize no i want to i maybe i need to poll 50 you know and they keep going out i think you're you're touching on you're you're touching on being risk adverse you know as well yes and um, analysis paralysis exactly ties into the analysis paralysis and you have to you know i i I mean, every we all do this every day. We struggle with decision making and 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 problem solving. You know, I'll tie it into to a more complex problem that I'm dealing with right now, and uh, it, it, I, I'm right in the middle of it. And it, it, so, you look at the defense contracting world, and you have a multi multi million dollar contract, you know, three hundred million dollar contract that you're working with as the incumbent, and and you've identified uh, gaps with the client that. Uh, are, are serious gaps and, and you need to come up with a solution to fill those gaps so that you retain the, the multi-million dollar contract. It's just good business. It's smart business and you have to go through this exact process to identify the problem. Where's the problem? Why is the, why is the client dissatisfied with uh, this aspect of the performance? You have to come up with Understanding the facts, understanding the problem, what, the what, when, why, where, how. Once you understand that, you have to, to determine, okay, this is what I can do about it to mitigate it, to mitigate that problem. And then ultimately, and Scott, I don't want to steal your thunder because I know you're coming to it, you got to make a decision at some point. And, and there's no written guarantee that, that it's going to turn out the way you want it to. And, and that's just a fact of life. And, and there's always going to be some amount of risk. Now, Obviously, we, we strive to mitigate as much of that risk as possible so that we can make an informed and, and educated decision. Um, but the key there is making a decision and not falling victim to analysis paralysis and, and, and whatever you want to call it. But you have to make a decision. You have to mitigate the risk. And you just got to go for it. Well, talking about the risk, that means you've got to understand every aspect of that risk. You've had to have yes, analyzed it. Yeah, you had to have analyzed it enough throughout the process that you feel like you've covered every aspect of it. Yes. And I like the way you put it uh, because I stress that so much to the people that's worked for me in the past. You've got to be able to make an informed or educated yes. decision. That's all you can really ask for is that if you've done enough of your homework, you've really analyzed this. And I don't want to go to the analysis paralysis aspect of it, but you've got to be able to do it enough where you feel like you've mitigated the risk so that the decision Absolutely. is going to um, not harm but actually improve the situation whatever it that's is. right this simple this simple process applies to uh, 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 a spec four transitioning out of the military uh, trying to figure out what he wants to do next in life and the very same this very same exact discussion or this process that we're talking about applies to even the the most complex of problems that that result in in good sound business decisions, um, and it could be from uh, something as as little as uh, uh, a, a you know twenty five thousand dollar business deal upwards of three hundred million dollar business deals or even higher. The process is the same, and it applies to everyone and everything. Um, 
and and that's it's it's critical. It's, absolutely, it's absolutely critical. You do it, and you do it right, or as best as you can. And I think since we're talking transition, and this is you know mentors from military, um, and we're talking you know uh, corporate and civilian type you know advice for transitioning military. My my online friend Mike Weinberg, who's the uh, Amazon best-selling author of a couple of books, New Sales Simplified and Sales Management Sales Management Simplified. I think he nails it best when he talks about how he looks at any type of problem. And, and I love what. Mike's one of those guys, uh, I've never met him in person, but if he wrote on the back of a napkin, I would probably subscribe to it and buy it, you know, just his thoughts of the day, because he's got such great <laughs> thoughts on everything. But he typically says, and it's directly back to problem solving, he says, you know, look at what problem you're solving. So if you're a spec for it, or you're the colonel or the major or the master sergeant or whoever, yep. what problem of that perspe- perspective employers can you solve? Once you've identified the problem that you have inherent skills to solve, what are your offerings to solve that problem for them? And then most importantly, and this is where people really mess up, and Mike's advice is genius, is you've identified their problem, you can list out your offerings to solve their problem, and now what are your differentiators? What makes you different, right? So, so I apply this in almost everything that I look at, and that's yeah. why I gotta make sure I'm giving Mike his, his due course here, because when I, when I, even as a corporation, the kinder group, when I say, what problem can I solve with clients? What are my offerings based upon my special operations and government level you know, background do I have to support those problems? And what are my differentiators? And, but that model for a transitioning soldier, airman, marine, whoever is perfect, right? Because once you are self-aware enough to say these are my true offerings and you take in and you talk about your passions and everything else with that and then you say and these are what makes me different. Different a lot of times is good because yeah. that separates yep. you from the herd. I'm glad you said that because I was gonna I was gonna tie that in with, with what makes it unique, you know. Um, you present that unique offer to solve that problem for potential client or employer, and you're you're increasing your chances of success dramatically. Well, I mean, let's face it. A lot of guys uh, and gals that are coming off active duty, the problem may be the uh, perception that the private sector has on them coming off active duty. I mean, True. yeah. I mean, how do you it, overcome that problem? How abs- do you absolutely. market yourself, right? And yeah. This is where you know talking networking and talking adaptability, and when you're when you're again talking selection, when you're talking yeah. all the things and tying a bow on them the, the, in the problem solving world, when you're selecting the right networking events and you're utilizing the right networking events, and you're adaptable in your desires for civilian employment, and you're self aware and you're cognizant of your own strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and, and everything else that you want to pursue, and then you uh, go for it with passion and gusto. Guess what? He's got a lot better chances when you add that magical word proactive in there about being successful because now you're truly doing things and you're truly moving forward into that battle space and you're owning the problem. You're not letting the problem own That's you. right. And maybe it's not That's a problem. Right. Maybe the problem's the wrong way of uh, identifying. Maybe it's uh, situational solving. So maybe it's more about getting out of the situation you're in or identifying the situation you're in and trying to maneuver through that so that you're successful on the back end. Uh, because, I mean, yeah. problems may sound like to some people, like, well, I don't really look at that as a problem. I don't really have that as a problem. And it might not be. That's, that's that person's, uh, based on his experience, his environment, uh, his understanding of the situation, uh, he might not, you know, see it as a problem and it might be a very low risk decision for that person to make at you know you compare that to, to someone else though in a different environment or a different situation that could be a huge problem 
That's a good point. I mean, because it really does depend upon the individual. That's right. Exactly. Everybody's unique. Everybody has a different perspective on it. And, and, and like I said earlier, right, like I'm not trying to oversimplify this to make it fit the podcast, but I, it's kind of an academic example for me because I look at anything as a potential problem, right? And yes. you know, it also makes you feel good internally when you say like, all right, cricket game problem today. This is how I solved it. Boom. Win for Scott. This is another problem that I have. Boom, win for Scott. And when you start knocking down these targets and you get that momentum up, you, you're, you're, you're rocking it out of the park. You're, you're doing the right stuff. You know, in cricket terminology, I just learned you're hitting sixes, right? So I still don't understand. I still don't understand cricket. cricket. So I appreciate I've you bringing that to the. Trying to make this international. So. Turn it to football or something because cricket. Hey, but you know what's cool about it, though? You know what's cool about it? It's kind of personal to me, that, man. Is that this, is that this process, man, it, I don't. You could be from Mars, and it it applies. You know, it's a it's a process that applies to everything, and it's common to all. And if you understand, and like I said, I don't want to get stuck on on, and, and I'm not taking anything away from it by any means, but I, I don't want to get stuck on acronyms and and um, and must have steps because it's all going to flex and change. But the understanding of of this process, the fact that it's cyclic, the fact that there there are some key components that you need to to, to figure out and, and make a decision on, uh, it applies to all, man. It, it, whether you play cricket or baseball or basketball or uh, whatever. Well, um, so, I mean, let's take it back. I mean, let's talk about a problem that we talked about in earlier podcasts. That's the communication or at least being able to identify um, which way it is that, uh, you know, you um, translate your skills to the private sector. So those individuals who we've talked about many times before have a perception of how it is. You know, you say that you were a soldier. It doesn't matter whether you were a mechanic or what it was that you were. They automatically assume you were in the heat of battle, that you, you know, kill people, all those types of things. You've got to be able to break down these barriers. That you can identify as problem solving. It's about how to mitigate, how to identify those risks. How are you going to overcome those uh, questions or how are you going to ov- overcome that perception when you're going out there into the private sector and trying to look for employment? How are you going to put the best foot forward when you're talking about your employment record, yep. which is your your resume? That's your basic that's tool right. that's going to get out there in front of you. Robert, and Randy of Hire Hero, Hire Heroes USA just wrote in the chat room, 60% of veterans struggle to translate their military experience adequately yes. to civilian hiring managers. There you go. Thank 60%. Thank you, Randy. Percent. That's high. Six zero. Randy, you're spot on. Man. Oh, my and, Lord. And, and, you know, one of the things one of the things that we do, and it's not, you know, wow, I can say that it's not hard to do, but yet for someone it might be hard to do. Uh, reach out and get some help. You know, it's it's really not that hard. Um, it. It's just communicating, communicating effectively. And that's the neat thing about the way we're doing these podcasts is that everything that we talk about, every podcast that we're talking about applies to a successful transition. It applies to a successful end state, uh, whatever that end state is, you know, and it's, it's, that's what's neat about it. And, I, and I, I'm sitting here chuckling, man, looking at the three of us because we're, we're attacking this thing from three different angles and I'm trying to simplify it in my head because that's just how my head works. Uh, it you know we've got we've got the three the the story of the three bears here you've got uh you know papa bear mama bear and, and baby bear and, and the porridge is hot medium and cold or the chair's too hard too soft it's just right and it's it's pretty cool because we're all talking about the same thing and we're coming at it from different angles and and i hope i hope in that uh of course i got a saying about hope too i'll 
I don't know if I can share that one on here, but uh, you guys might have heard it before. Oh, yeah, yeah, he shared yeah, it last week. Yeah. And hoping the there you go. There you the go. Week. Um, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, the goal is, the goal of the in-state is that, that ultimately we help someone and that someone can find one of us to relate to, one of the stories to relate to, or one of the one of the approaches that we're taking to relate to um, because it's, it, it is important and it is something that you have to do in order to be successful. And I don't like putting hard, rigid uh, uh, points on any problem set or, or goal, but there are things you must achieve and overcome to be successful. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people be successful. Um, and you better learn how to do this in some capacity. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. That's another, that's another Rudy, important check this out. Yep. Girl Master Sergeant just put in the chat room that her government contractor job, they're not allowed to use the word problem. They have to say challenges. Yes, yeah. that's, company yeah. has, that's why I has brought that up. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, no offense to the to to that, but uh, I I look at that and I'm like, uh, it's, that's just semantics and, and technical jargon and and hoopla. Call, well, it, whatever like, want, you know? Call it whatever you want. Call it whatever you want. Sorry, Rudy, but I mean, he's identifying other problems, you know, and, and I think yeah. a, a large one for transitioning military people is a point that he just made about military jargon and language, you know, and identifying those transferable skills because it, that far too often we can't get out of who we are or who yes. we think we are or who we have to portray when in fact we're expecting that other company to pay us a, a salary yeah. based on something that we would do for them. So, you know, unrealistic expectations and sense of entitlement, I, I couldn't agree with them more. Those two, you know, being two top bullets of what he's talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, that's going, that. that goes back to the observe, though. I mean, you're really going back to you need to observe and understand the environment around you that you're walking into. It's much different that you, than what you've dealt with on the pri- uh, or in the military going into the private sector. So you have to be, it goes back to self-awareness. You have to be aware of who you are, what you're going to be bringing to the table. But you also have to be able to, you know, uh, relay that and understand that there are going to be challenges or problems or whatever that's out there, whether it's identifying the community communication barriers, looking at your resume, you know, all those types of things that's going to be available and not have that sense of entitlement, but understand that there's going to be those types of challenges um, that that you're going to have to come up with. Again, that's that observation. It takes us two steps back, really. Um, and, and then you've got to identify to overcome those and to actually compete within the marketplace, understand what it takes and orient and identifying how much time and potential repercussions it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Hey, here's another good point I'm going to bring you know, out I think- while I noticed it. Hey, Scott, I'll, I'll just jump in just a second here. Let me, I got to do this before I forget. So, another key aspect of one of the podcasts that we talked about was flexibility. And, and something important about this process or this cycle or this solution to, to problem solving is that, Robert, you hit it on the head. We're going back to another part of this process, which is opportunity. And we have to remain flexible while we're going through this process because at any time, you may have, you may be, something may happen that causes you to go back to a new piece of information surfaced or a new situation surfaced, and you have to go back to another part of this process before you get to the end state. Um, so you got to remain flexible. You got to be. You got to remain observant throughout this process. And, and if something changes or dynamic or situation or, or whatever changes, you have to be able to apply new 
data to that to get to the end state. I think that's where you come up with just, I mean, it's so basic at times, though. You just come up with a simple list of things that you feel might be obstacles in your way or things that you need to overcome, uh, whether it's communication, whether it's going to be your resume, the uh, interview process, whether it's going to be um, translating your military skills, getting the education, the certification. You need to make a simple list of those types of things and then identify the, you know, how are you going to mitigate that? What are the risks that uh, go involved within that? And and how much time is it really going to take for you to be competitive or to accomplish those things in the back end? Um, and it, it's really, you know, there's pros and cons lists. There's all kinds of lists that you can come up with. But this is a really simple process that we're talking about. Yes, it is. It is. And, and guys can't, but, guys and gals can't overcomplicate it. But, you know, I was telling you earlier, Robert, when we were speaking before the show, I typed out all this kind of read ahead and we got a rough outline and everything else. And, and I was going for a run around lunchtime before because I'm it's only lunchtime here but i was thinking you know, i'm missing something about problem solving like what do i do all the time problem solving problem solving and then it hit me and it was something that mike pritz said about the selection here i was talking about selecting and selection and everything else and, and he backed it up and said well scott i'm going to attack this from a different paradigm and say preparedness for selection and preparedness to select these things and that's when it hit me today i said well what can i back problem solving out to be so that we yep. can you know mitigate these risks so that we can do things I said, that's it. I feel like an idiot that I haven't brought it up thus far, but rehearsals. To me, and in any SF guy, rehearsals on the objective, but when you're transitioning, don't tell me that doesn't apply to you because if you're transitioning, rehearse writing your resume. Write it, write it, submit it out to different people, friends, families, coworkers, anybody with a job and and the ability to read it and, and put a stamp on it. Rehearse interviewing skills, right? We talked about that in networking. Rehearse your networking skills, rehearse your body language, rehearse your outfit, rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearse, rehearse your plan until it becomes second nature because that's one thing that we do in the SF world all the time and then we get we take off a uniform or beret and we get on the civilian street and we forget about it and and it's ludicrous again just rehearse rehearse everything and keep that ethos of proactive rehearsals and you'll be infinitely more successful again whether that's with the front of the camera whether that's in front of your mirror whether that's with your spouse or your friends you you need to constantly be rehearsing your personal brand who you are what it is that you want to do all that aspect of it. rehearsal is such a key component of yep. this that we've been talking about it for so uh, several weeks you want to get the feedback by the way of what you think you might uh, be prepared portraying as a uh your personal brand and who you are and everything you may also want to throw that out there to other people who know you just as well because they may come back and go scott geez that's not really good man you don't want to say that that's not the thing that you want to bring up because you're going to create another problem or another hurdle that you're going to have to overcome by doing that yeah susan's making a good point she's saying rehearse your elevator speech and then rehearse your introductions and handshake people who know me will laugh because when i meet a a new person for the first time face to face i have a new person handshake that that i use and that is i repeat their name i do whatever i need to do i have a submissive type handshake I, i rehearse everything before i actually try and apply it in the real world because that's how it becomes comfortable right when you watch yourself in the mirror speak that's when you see how you truly sound. Record yourself. Who doesn't hate yep. the sound of their own voice in recordings? But you have to do it. You have to practice all this stuff. Absolutely. And Get you know, the nail on the head. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just so critical. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're joined by Mike as well into our uh, our studio. And uh, welcome aboard, Mike, man. I'm glad you were able to join us in this conversation. Thanks, man. I, I just, uh, I, I probably missed all the meat of the conversation, but I'm, I'm glad I could, I could jump in. And, um, you know, Scott, I listen to these podcasts after we do them, and hearing my own voice is kind of goofy. So I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. If you don't, if you don't listen to yourself, uh, man, you sound just terrible. So that's what yeah. I thought yesterday when I was listening to one of the podcasts. Well, if you're in the case of Scott, you might be the camera as well as looking at the, at you to see how it is that you react on the other wow, end. Wow, I just jumped well. in on the pile on Scott show. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. But it's so true because, I mean, they talk about interviewing and such, and I even mentioned it, you know, you mentioned my book. It's one of the things I even mentioned within the book. You've got to be able to um, communicate, articulate everything well enough that you're presenting that right image to the other individual that's receiving it. So in some cases, you may want to um, tape it. You may want to, uh, you know, video uh you know, tape yourself as well to make sure that it's coming across. You're putting the image that you want to portray. Um, you look presentable. You're not waving your hands all the time whenever you're talking because, you know, we talk about the knife hand, but we also, you know, sometimes end up using our hands to be able to express ourselves. And when you do that, you end up throwing your hands all the time. People are wondering, oh my God, what is he, you know, what are he or she doing when they start waving their hands? You may come across very negative the end of the other individual. So, Again, I think it, it's about the, the the observation to me is a really, that's the first step, but it's a very important step to each of the processes that we're talking about here um, and certainly making the transition. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I, and, and I don't want to jump too far ahead of it because I was trying to save this to the last comment, but or the last talking point, I should say. Um, Sometimes, you know, no matter how much effort we put into, and this is just reality, uh, no matter how much effort or how much planning or, or how much practice or rehearsals, no matter what we do, it can still fail. And, you know, no matter what, I don't want to be a, a, a negative Nancy or a doomsayer here, but it's reality. And it's a reality to successful people especially. And ultimately, that's what we're talking about. You know, we're, we learn how to, to, to handle uh, a problem in the, in the problem-solving uh, uh, framework or process. But ultimately, we want success. And whether that's a transition or whether you're talking on a, on a corporate level or in the business sector, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we're trying to teach success and teach people how to be successful. And, that, and, and I think a big part of that is after you have solved your problem and you've assumed some amount of risk and you've implemented a, a decision uh, or a plan, it still might not work out and that's okay. And you have to have the resolve and the, uh, and the uh, intestinal fortitude to keep moving forward and then Again, getting back to the fact that this is a cycle, not a not a a ending a process with an end state that stops. You go back to the beginning, and you find, and you reanalyze it, and you re you know you're staying observant, and you make some new decisions based on the new facts, and it's ongoing process. So you know, uh, not being successful with it might be part of that process, and it might enlighten you to new things or new information that you didn't have before. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's funny you mentioned intestinal fortitude. I was actually going to jump in when you said that. I thought, oh, yeah, that's the, I mean, that's a key uh, piece of it. you got to be able to understand, like you said, that things are not always going to go as well as planned and that you're going to have to um, have a plan B, a plan C, or whatever the case may be. Uh, because, again, it's yeah, all... Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, the, the private sector is going to be analyzing you um, differently than perhaps you would analyze yourself. So you, you're going to have to understand where they're coming from um, when you're going through this process and, and understand that you, when you're understanding the risks that come with that or the things that may happen, you've got to be able to adapt quickly, readjust, yep. get back on board, and get them back in tune to you and what you're offering and the value that you're going to bring to the table. Yep. And I'll tie that into every example we just we just talked about uh, the Spec Four transition. And you know, he's a, he's a he's a young Spec Four. He, he he's I, he's found his passion. He's went through this entire process. He's made a decision, and he's he's executing that decision. And he goes and applies for the job, and for whatever reason, doesn't get hired. And so he goes back to this process and with the new data, uh, understanding that maybe he delivered his elevator pitch poorly. Uh, so he goes back to rehearsals and refines and, and redoes his his pitch at the next place. Um, all the way through the, the other example that I gave, which was, you know, uh, you're in the process of, of, of rebidding a $300 million contract and you've got uh, what you feel is the perfect plan and, um, and it's exactly what the client's looking for. and. For whatever reason, you don't uh, you don't get the contract. Does that mean it's the end of the day? Does that mean you stop moving forward? No. That means you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you continue to march, and you f you go back into this process and you find out what went wrong with the new information, and you and you apply new solutions and new points, and you come up with a basically a new plan, and you go after something else, and you just keep moving forward. Um, and it, it, it just applies to everybody, but just the, my point is, I can ramble all day, but my point is, you can, as prepared as you can be, uh, it still might not work out for, for you, and you're going with it, and you get you insert yourself back into that process. And it's frustrating, Rudy, because you say that, and we all admit it, and we can all celebrate the Steve Jobs of the world, the whoever's, the, you know, yep. the Dave Ramsey's of the world who have had these catastrophic multi-million dollar career implosions, and yet we celebrate them yep. for being these failures who succeeded eventually. Um, you know, Michael Jordan even says, you know, he's, he's lost more games than he's won by missing shots, Absolutely. and yet we celebrate him as his hero, and yet when failure happens to us... We, we just implode. We can't move on. We can't go forward because we've not hit some standard, and it just boggles my mind. You know, when I first, yeah. when I first tuned on, guys, Robert said something. It was the first thing I heard, and if, I, if I'm recapping things, just cut me off. But he said, you know, yeah. it, it's really a simple process. Um, and I, I think it in is. a time, if you look at what we're doing in the military over the last 10 years, we've become more business-like and less military-like. We've, we've streamlined production. We've We've streamlined how we, we do the logistics process. It has to be on demand. We've downsized and we're yep. downsizing the military now. And all in efforts to be more effective, we use you know enhanced technology. And at times, I think what's always made us in the military uh, more adaptable is being so simple. You know, the the the, yes. the decision making process itself is simple. When when applied, everybody gets input and when when the uh, when the decision is made, everybody moves out to execute, and I, I think that if you if you look at it from a much more simple process, then and and you don't try to make it 
more complicated than it needs to be. When you hit adversity, Rudy, like you said, and, and you've got to reset, yep. um, man, you just start the simple process all over again. And, and it's discouraging, I, I imagine, but you know, at the same time, it, it's, it's, it's continually moving forward. Like I said a couple of shows ago, man, one foot in front of the other is how we get to progress. That's right. Exactly. And that's where we get back into realistic expectations as well and celebration of small victories, right? I mean, just one step forward sometimes is all you have to make. And trust me, I've been there to where I didn't think I could make another single movement forward. And yet I still picked up and went. So when you learn to celebrate the very small victories, in addition to the big victories that we're going to have, all of a sudden that failure is not catastrophic anymore. And, and you don't have the fear residing inside of you. Well, you weren't the first to blaze this trail. I, I think that's the, the, the thing that you've also got to realize as well is that there are others that came before you that um, did exactly what you did. And, and those are the people, you know, that Mike, you brought up that you, you had your network, but then you had your trusted people that you could consult with. I think that's who you go to is you go to those individuals that blaze the trail in front of you and you go, listen, I don't want to, you know, recreate the wheel here. This has been done literally millions of time before me so what is it that i need to do differently or i need to do to be successful in this they're going to know mike and they're going to say mike you know you're going about this the wrong way much like they did with the resume they go you know your resume is not set up in the right format you're attacking this from the wrong angles you know the people are going to approach this in their perspective of how you're presenting it in the wrong way you need to be able to attack this differently those are the people you need to reach out to because you, you don't have the machete blazing your own trail. People have gone before you. Reach yeah. out to them. And yet we can't admit that. No, the yeah, fear yeah. of not being as unique as we think we are, right? Yeah, I think that's that feel, uh, fear of failure that we talked about. I think sometimes people just get so fearful of just falling flat on their butt and just not you know, feeling comfortable with it. But you got to get over that, that, that piece of it. You gotta, We've talked about that before too. Just yeah. check your ego at the door, man. Ask Absolutely. for help. I, I ask for help every day. Part of, you know, talking with you guys, uh, talk, talking with my mentors, uh, you know, talking with my wife. It, it, every yep. day, I'm seeking to improve in some little, in some fashion. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you said that, Mike, because the day you stop doing that, you might as well put a bullet in your head and call it good. Because if you're the smartest, <laughs> like I said in my in my uh, in my blog, if you if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. The day we stop learning is the day you, you're starting to become irrelevant. And um, that's just a fact. And if yeah. people don't like that, then they need to self-assess and look in the mirror. No, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of people fail is that they, they begin to think that they have to have all the answers as well right off the gate, and they're not going to have all the answers. They're not going to be able to solve everything by themselves. They're going to have to reach out to that network and their, the people that they can actually consult with to say, you know, am I approaching this the right way? Are, are there things that I should be doing different? Um, because, um, you know, if you start thinking you have all the answers and that you, you have this approach all figured out and that you've mitigated all the risk and you just launch, that probably is going to be where you're going to fail right off the bat is because you haven't ran this by anybody. You haven't tested it. You haven't evaluated its approach. You haven't determined whether it's going to be successful because you just thought one and done was good enough and, and uh, that's why you're that's why you're playing checkers instead of chess you know right <laughs> you're not going to be able to identify the, the three four five moves ahead you know thinking into the future being proactive you're you're simply moving step by step and, and reacting to 
to each of those steps, and that's that's not an effective way to, to go with this. Well, we talked about this even in the last couple of podcasts. When it comes to you may go into a stepping stone position within an organization. I know we're, we're talking problem solving, but again, sure. if you take it out of the problem solving, you may go to a stepping stone. But if, like you said, Rudy, if you're being observant with what's going on around you and you're being self-aware, you may be able to find those gaps and opportunities within an organization that you can go into. Um, so it, again, it kind of comes into that. You gotta, you gotta be a little bit more um, willing to listen, observe, um, in order to be successful. If you think you've got all the answers and they're all the right answers, That's then right. you're just not gonna. It's not gonna work. That's right. So when we get back into uh, you know things like. Um, you know, wargaming, scenario development and stuff, that's really kind of that role-playing. But then you kind of go to the backward planning as well, uh, which is really important. Um, right, Scott? Because, I mean, then you're starting to talk about regression analysis and whether or not you think it's really going to work and you test to whether or not it's going to be effective by running through that process to see if it's going to have the proper outcome. No, I, I agree. Um Sorry, I got distracted in the chat room there for a minute, Robert. But um, I, I absolutely agree. And to to Randy's point that he made, you know, we got to get out of the military mindset of failure is not an option. Well, you know, again, I wrote in the same ground truth, but if failure is not an option, neither is success. But only through yes, right. proper wargaming, scenario develop, scenario development, and and actually course of action analysis, and and doing the right kind of you know mission planning and stuff. That's how you truly get to the next level of your problem solving skills, and that becomes routine. So integrated into your OODA loop is your planning considerations and, and what you need. And, and for me, and for, for I have different problems than you would have, and you have different problems than Rudy would have. And as a warrant, he has much different problems than the Sergeant Major Pritz would have. And as a barista, you know my problems are unique to everyone. So. <laughs> But the process is what is what we all employ, right? I mean, it doesn't exactly. matter what the problem is. That's right. As long as we go back to the process, and and I think you know to to hit back on what Robert said a few minutes ago, you don't have to do it yourself, and and honestly, you probably shouldn't. Um, you should reach out to to people because what we do better in soft, and I think anybody in in the rest of the military, is is we plan as a member of a team, and everybody right. has their their part that they bring to the team, and if you if you're missing a member of the team, well, you're missing a part of the plan. So, you know, reach out to, the, to that network that, that you've used for so many other things and, and create maybe some new contacts, but, but build that new team uh, that you can use in your decision-making process. Even, even a lot of the singleton ops that, that we've done, you know, some of the, some of the high-end, high-end singleton stuff we've done, you still reach out and, and bounce ideas off other members of a team somewhere prior to you executing whatever it is you're going after, you know. It's uh, you're, you hit the nail on the head there, Mike. Well, if you think you've got all the answers, you really don't. I mean, that's what it no, comes down never. to, you know. No, you, you want to mitigate. You want to mitigate as much as you can. But if, like I said before, if you think you have all the answers, you're gonna fail. Yeah. And okay. uh, or you're you're not gonna be ready to fail, and then it's gonna hit you like a freight train, and you're gonna be dealing with that reality. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things that goes within this process, too, is, of course, remaining calm throughout the process and making sure that you're keeping a calm, cool head and that as you're going through some of these scenarios and things that may happen to you, you don't panic. 
Um, and it's yeah. the whole reason why the planning process is so critical because if you actually go ahead and you start planning properly and you identify the risk, you mitigate those as you're going through the process, whether that's a, you know, identifying your resume, what are the different types of certifications or schools that you may have to, uh, you know, obtain or degrees uh, to, to get ahead or align yourself with your peer group that you're going into. If you do that proper planning and understand the mitigate uh, to mitigate the risk, um, then you're going to be a lot calmer when the situation comes and the questions fly at you differently than what you expected, uh, whether or you're not it's prepared. yeah, absolutely. And, and that's well, again, what you should be. He's here. I don't want to steal his thunder, but Mike, right? I mean, Mike had a, a pretty big, you know, curveball thrown at him with his plans for the schooling. Would you say Mike was going to add an extra 14 months and a little more cost? And if your runway wasn't big enough to support those plans, You'd, you'd be in crisis mode right now. A little more cost. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the difference was a, was a seven-month program um, that I was going to pay for out of pocket for about $5,500. Uh, and the trade-off was a 14-month program that's going to cost me $60,000. So the cost oh, is considerably wow. higher. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to leverage some, some help there. But, you know, I, I think uh, – but again, it was, it was the people in my network that looked at both plans – and uh, and said, hey man, this this one, you, you know, you'll you'll get you'll get certified, and that's about all because you can't work Jesus, for me with Jesus with that. Squeeze. Yeah, you, you you can you you may you may be able to work a hundred miles outside of town in a rural area, but this other plan, it's one of the top ten private schools in the country, and you can work anywhere you want. So I, I mean, there's there's risk and gain, right? So I've I've leveraged a lot of risk against that, uh, that that it's going to get me to where I want to go. Plus, I think the network from that other school is a little bit better. But Scott, you're exactly right. It, it was a curveball, and it took a little bit of you know self reflection and thinking about what I really wanted to do, and um, I think in that the sounds, end I'll, I'll be sounds, better prepared. That sounds a lot like the uh, old bull, young bull story with the, with the, with the two guys sitting on top of the hill looking down at all the cows. You know, you walk down and accomplish a lot, or run down and accomplish very little. <laughs> you know, in in the privacy. In the private sector, we always look at things as to uh, what's your ROI, what's your return on investment. So in your t case, Mike, what you're describing there, you were eva evaluating the risk, you were evaluating the cost, you were evaluating what the potential opportunities would be in the end state, but you were also looking at what truly for you would be your return on investment. And um, and that's the same thing when you start looking at education, when you start looking at certifications. It may cost you money along the, uh, in the long run, but if your income or if the, your possibilities for growth and everything are greater by going one route over the other, this is when you have to just do the old simple draw a line down the piece of paper, pros and cons, start analyzing both sides of that. You know, again, evaluating the the potential uh, opportunities, the risk, uh, ways you can mitigate the risk, and you know, come to some kind of solid uh, solution. Planning is so important. You know, sometimes the fastest route, sometimes the the most direct route, isn't isn't the best route. You know, right. I, I used to I used to when I taught SUT at uh, Camp McCall, and um, the first part I know Scott when you went through I don't know did you do land navigation when you did SUT or did you do it in SFAS? SFAS. So when I, yeah, when I so when I worked when I worked out at Camp McCall and SUT, we we ran land navigation out there for everybody. Uh, we hadn't shifted to SFAS yet, but anyway, I, I would do terrain walks and I would take guys around and and I would I would show them. There was one particular draw in the Hoffman training area that I would take them out to, uh, not Bones Fork that everybody knows, but it's a little bit further in the northwest part of the training area. 
And it's something that if you put your head down, you could bust through that draw in about 30 minutes. And I would put all the kids online. I'd say, okay, just head down on azimuth. You know, you can see the high ground from here, but you're going to go through the toughest part of the draw. And, uh, and I would take off and I would run on the spur all the way around. And I'd be over there in about seven minutes. I mean, it, it would take them sometimes 20, you know, depending on the time of year, sometimes a little bit faster. But in seven minutes, I could run around. Now, I, I mean, that, that's adaptable. It's a little bit, you know, more taxing on me. But, you know, in, in the long run, I think seven minutes compared to 20 on an evaluation like that might be uh, a little bit harder for you, but you're yeah. going to save time. You can apply somewhere else. And that's the way or I look at all my decisions, really. Yeah. You run for seven minutes to get around it fast instead of busting through it, and you rest for 15 on the backside, kicking your feet up on your ruck, right. and you're still ahead You're still ahead of the power curve. Rudy, because you know that draw is You can run for 30 physically. minutes. Busting the draw is hard work. That's, that's going to wear oh, you yeah. off faster than running for sure. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go south to go north. <laughs> yes. You know, but if there's a lot of truth in what we're saying here that is very applicable because, I mean, you know, sometimes, uh, Mike, the shortest route is the best route, and other times it not, might not necessarily give you the same gain in the back end or the same return on investment. So it's very critical for you to be able to evaluate both sides of it. You don't just take off running because you think, well, I can get there in seven minutes. Uh, you you want to be able to, you know, rise above that, evaluate all aspects of it. You're evaluating, in your case, you're evaluating the terrain aspects, the, you know, what might be along the way in, in uh, obstacles, whether that's, you know, briar, whether that's creeks that you got to cross, whether that's hills you got to climb, you know, whatever the case may be. And you're evaluating all those aspects to in your total decision, it's part of the process. You just don't jump to conclusion because you think it's the easiest route and it's the best way yep. to go to. So it goes back kind of even to last week's show that you just don't pick up and move just because a company calls you long distance 3,000 miles away and say this is the best opportunity. It, it goes back to what we're talking about and problem solving. You've got to make sure you've mitigated, evaluated, analyzed, done all of the pre-work that's involved within this process so that you arrive at the right conclusion that's best for you and get your best return on investment. That's right. And only you can identify that. Now, I can counsel you and I can mentor you, Mike and Rudy and Scott, and say, based on what I know from you guys, I think X might be great for you. But you've got to do a lot of soul searching internally. You've really got to determine, and of course, if you're married, you've got to bounce this off your spouse or significant other, but you've got to make sure that this is in the best interest of you because in the end, it doesn't matter what I give you as far as advice. You're going to make your own decision anyway. So, Well, and that's where we often run through a lot of problems is when we take that advice from others and yet we're not self-aware enough to say, maybe that's not for me, right? I'm a great salesperson and I'm a horrible sales manager. You know, I, I don't want to manage people. And yet we, okay, well, there's more money. I'll, I'll be a manager. And we get in these positions to where, we're just miserable, and that is because we're not self-aware. We're not true to who we are. You know, a lot of I've seen a lot of folks become very title-driven within the private organization as well. I mean, in the private sector, people will look at the titles and go, "Well, it's very important that I come in at X," or "I feel like based on my military experience that I hit this level." You're focusing too much on that aspect, or you're focusing too much on the almighty dollar. You're putting too much emphasis on I have to make X number of dollars in order to be where I believe to be a successful, you know, piece. In the private sector, I mean, I was making far less or whatever within the military, but now I feel like I'm worth this and I should be paid that. 
again, you've got to do your homework. You've got to evaluate and be very self-aware and understand your peer group and all the things that we were talking about in our previous podcast because um, you've got to make sure that as you move forward, you've solved all issues that might be in front of you and that you've laid out a proper and a good plan to be successful in the very end. And an honest plan. An on- yeah, you've got to be real with yourself. I yeah, mean, you got to be honest to yourself first. Or you got to have. And your appraisals have to be honest as well because in your value and in your worth and in your, you know, like Randy's saying in the chat room, we, we have this expectation, you know, hey, I, I served and I was in a horrific combat outpost in Afghanistan and, you know, hey, McDonnell Douglas should pay me $100,000 a year and give me a mansion and a Ferrari to drive because of that. Like, it's not really how it works. You know, I, but I, I did exactly that before I decided the route I'm going now. I, and when I initially circulated my resume out there and I, I talked to some, some HR folks, I, I threw numbers out that I thought um, that I, I deserved. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's ego that got involved. And I didn't need that much money. And, and you know, we've all talked about this. What you, you, you got to do a real assessment on what you need, too. Um, but it, it had nothing to do with what, what would meet my needs. It had to do with what I thought I was, I was comparably being paid now. And, um, I, and, you know, I just, through a lot of, you know, soul searching and figuring out what I wanted to do, I completely flushed that idea. But I, I, I think all of us go through that, particularly when you're at, you know, specific higher levels of leadership and you're used to dealing with lots of people and, and, you know, uh, money and, contracts, things like that. But I, I you know, it, it's something that I think it's fairly easy to get beyond if you, uh, if you just focus on what's important. That's right. You know, and, and uh, you bring up a great, really great point because when you talk about the compensation aspect of it, there is so much that goes into the compensation factor. It's not just the salary. It could be bonuses. It could be 401k. And for some people, depending upon, you know, where you are, like some millennials and some, uh, you know, other generations. It could be my work-life balance, my ability to work from home, my ability to be able to get only work, you know, to six o'clock in the evening, my ability to not have to drive too far. Um, you know, whatever it may be. Again, you've got to put all these things on paper to decide what are the things that are most important to you, and what is really, you know, is it compensation, and what is compensation? What are the possibilities for compensation? Because we each could be compensated differently you know, or feel that we're compensated differently. So that's a really good point. And I'm glad that you actually asked some other people, Mike, because I think some people actually go out into the private sector and make assumptions about what they're going to make based on certain titles or what they believe their friends make. And they never asked them uh, because, you you know, usually you never talk about those types of things, but you make assumptions based on their homes or their, you know, cars or whatever the case may be. You that That's where I really keep pounding on. You've got to understand your peer group. You got to understand who you think your peer group is, and you may be quite surprised to find that the people that you thought were your peers are not your peers. You're below them. You may find you're ahead you of them. You also got to understand the transitioning marketplace as well, right? Sorry, Robert, didn't mean That's to right. cut you no, off, you- but you know, we, we've been at war for almost longer than ever before in our history, right? I mean, as a society, as a nation. So you've got to understand that you're not unique, that when you're comparing yourself, it's not apples to oranges, it's apples to many, 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 many other apples out there that are also transitioning with you. So that honest and that honesty and that appraisal have to be sincere when you look at yourself. Otherwise, you're doing yourself and, and most importantly, doing your family a disservice. Yeah. 
this takes place during the all this takes place within that process work. And, and, and when you're when you're in the beginning stages of this process, and at all of these different things that we're talking about, and you're comparing them to not only yourself but the opportunities you're going after, and if they don't jive, if they don't match up, then they don't support each other, and you're actually creating more of a problem for yourself than solving the initial problem. Um, so again, tying all that stuff in um, to the ongoing process and being flexible enough to to bounce in and around different parts of that process is critical. So, you know, in looking at what some of the things that we talked about this evening, we talked about defining the problem. So you don't want to do too much analysis paralysis. You don't want to get kind of stagnated or, you know, fearful about the approach. You want to make sure that you're not adverse to risk, that you understand the risk mitigation aspects of it. And, uh, you know, one of the tools that um, Scott had mentioned is UDA, which is Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. I mentioned about Six Sigma and how we evaluate, define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. Uh, both of them kind of get the same end gate. It's about trying to make sure that, um, you know, you're, you're truly doing the right amount of analysis. You're evaluating the potential risks that go along with the case. You're defining a good course of action. You're, you're making sure that once you implement it, that it's going to be the best thing for you and perhaps you're going out there and consulting with those people that you trust most to get the feedback that you need and that you'll probably listen to uh, to make sure that you can move forward and um, some of that might take into place you know backward planning or regression analysis where you go back and you say okay if I did X how did I actually get there and what are the steps that I I need to do to get to that point if that works for you uh, that's great as well but also make sure that you're remaining calm throughout this whole process because if you've done the right work and the right analysis along the way, you want to make sure that you've um, you know, put the work in so that you're confident in your approach going forward, especially when you meet with those people during the interview process. And... Uh, you know, and and make sure that you're you're confident in your approach and you know who you want to be and what you want to get out of it. So um, that's really kind of what we wanted to talk in terms of problem solving. And again, you know, some people don't like problem; they like challenges. Or if you want to just look at trying to make sure that you um, come out of the the back end of a, a situation in a positive aspect, however it is that you want to look at it, um, that's kind of what we're talking about. And in terms of transition, it's really important. Um, so with that, I, I want to thank uh, Mike, Scott, and uh, Rudy uh, for joining us uh, today and for all of those that were in the chat room that were uh, bringing up great points uh, tonight uh, for our podcast. Uh, we'll I hit you guys again this coming Wednesday night at uh, 9 p.m. the same way. And if, for those of you who may be listening and you're not joining us here in the Mixler chat room, make sure that you join Mixler at MIXLR.com and uh, go out and listen to some of our other podcasts that we have available at uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as for the Mentors for Military podcast uh, site on MentorsForMilitary.com. If you haven't already gone out there and given us a rating on our iTunes site, I appreciate it if you guys will go out there and do that and for those of you who've already done it really appreciate all the positive comments that you guys have given us and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing and seeing you guys again uh, here in the next few days so uh, with that thank you everybody for joining have a great evening good night guys